Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, August 2nd of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor and an academician, gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This Sunday is August 7th, and each Tuesday we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, that's 5.30 a.m. Our little team's working to be faithful to Lectionary Year C, and that puts us in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. We develop perspectives independently after the lead-off person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion, we share and encourage and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Charles Willard. Bill Hall in St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And our lead-off person today who's put all the questions together for us and going to read scripture is Sarah Mickelson. Good to see you today, my friend. Good morning, everybody. Um, good morning. It's a good day to be here. Um, so when we last left our conversation, mm-hmm. we were at the beginning of Luke chapter 12, and we were meeting the the person who, who had so much stuff, he was making a decision to build more barns. And now Jesus has continued that conversation with the disciples. Um, it, he walked us through between Luke 22, uh, between where we left our story last time and um, where we're going to pick up today. Um, Luke 22 through 31 talks about not worrying about your life, what you will eat, and about your body, what you will wear. And he asks the disciples to consider the birds of the air, the lilies, the grass, and how, of how much more value they are than the birds, the flowers, and the grass. And he emphatically says, instead strive for the kingdom of God, and these things will be given to you as well. And so now we're going to pick up our story this week in Luke um, chapter 12, verse 32, and work through verse 40. Opening with 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he knocks or comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. When he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at, the, at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. And that's the end of our reading. Um, 
My first question has to do with the how we understand treasure. This week, I should say last week, because when I was putting these questions together, I was in the throes of last week, but um, I work for a law firm, and um, last week the I experienced a corporate real-life confrontation about treasure. I um, Our office building was struck by lightning, and the power surge gutted both our phone systems and all the technology infrastructures that are imperative for the practice of law. I came face-to-face with a renewed and abrupt understanding of the words, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It made me stop and reconsider what's truly important during a crisis and how, in turn, I might be of better service to others. If you are willing to share, well, first, have, have we not all found ourselves confronted and challenged like an, in an event like this? And if you're willing to share, what was your experience and did it shift your understanding and, and, and recognition of treasure? And how did it prepare you to receive and share more open-handedly the presence and gifts of God? Um, Bill, you want to kick us off? Thank you, Sarah. Uh, as I mentioned in the uh, pre-recording conversation, my mind has gone a number of places, but I will follow your lead and pick one example. And yours was very dramatic, and mine was for me. Long story short, a decade or so ago, I became ill and later found out I was having meningitis. I was in bed, not feeling well. My wife was on the phone with a colleague asking about my well-being, and in my sense, I fell asleep. 36 hours later, I woke up in an intensive care unit, hands and feet securely strapped and restrained, and I thought I was dreaming until I tried to move. I screamed out, and within seconds, a nurse popped in the door and informed me that I had been unconscious for 36 hours. The Later found out the doctors, a team of eight doctors, this was over a 4th of July weekend, eight doctors struggled to save me, telling Sybil that I would likely die and probably the best she had to hope for was be that I would somehow survive significantly physically and mentally impaired. Um, needless to say, <laughs> this was probably the worst personal trauma of my life. And real quickly to your, what I think is at the heart of your question, Uh, For example, I found out and received letters, emails, phone calls, not only from around the U.S., but around the world. People, I was a pastor of a church. uh, They had special prayer for me, and many of them let other people know, and various prayer chains were praying for me. Um, It was a powerful reminder to me, Sarah, of how fragile life is. 
That same weekend, in the same hospital, a man about my age was admitted with meningitis, and he died. Later, at his wife's initiative, I met her and talked with her. Um, at, I was one who was very, very active and in some ways neglected uh, my own spiritual nurture. And I probably in some ways I'm still processing it, but I'll tell you, Sarah, it really shook me to my core. And I realized I could have died. The other man did die. And you can imagine Sybil and I talking about what it would have been like for her with two children yet to raise. Um, it um, had a very powerful impact on my life and led me to what is now a continuing provision in my life for the be still and know and meditation and being comfortable being alone, especially outdoors, whether it's on a kayak or swimming or simply sitting by Tampa Bay at dawn and celebrating the, the birth of a new day. And um, needless to say, it had a tremendous impact on the congregation. Now, I don't believe God gave me meningitis. I, I, I do not believe that. But I believe God is at work in every experience, and it really helped me realize the, the treasure of, of each day and things I needed to let go of uh, in order to focus. Now, that probably sounds a little muddled, but um, I will stop at that, Sarah. Thank you for your question. Thank you, Bill. Don, do you have anything you want to bring to the table? Sure. And Bill, thank you. I, I hadn't heard that before. It's uh, All this is so personal. And I wanted to start with that, that you can come at it in so many different ways. And I, I just want to say that uh, no matter what is shared or no matter what I share, uh, it, I, it's not meant to reflect on the intensity of anyone's personal trauma <clears throat> because it comes in so many different forms. I think that's part of the message. It is the change, the confrontation of where your treasure is and what prompts you to think about that. It comes in many flavors. And and so I just wanted to use that as a kind of preamble to what, what I'm going to share. Uh, because my experiences are corporate. I mean, as in a lot of people. And repeating, it is almost a recurring instance. And just like you, Bill, you know, there's, there was a connection to others who, who are experiencing. You have a, a brother and sisterhood with people who have lost and who have experienced those things, and that's that corporate. And for me, uh, just because of what I do, it repeats. And it repeats to me personally as I go through it, and it repeats to people around me. And it's about a discipline of seeing or not seeing, being confronted with the fact that I don't see sometimes. And, and I think the, the interplay in the scripture is both, that, that I can stand back and look and see, just like Bill's standing back and saying he has kind of new eyes that he sees, and at the same time, I can be in it tomorrow. I think I'm in it now. I think I'm storing up treasure all the time 
in a proper place and I'm distracted. So the example I just want to give you is the situation where uh, people's tools have been taken from them, tools of their enterprise, how I make a living. Picture a carpenter or an electrician. What I need to do my job is gone. Where I work is gone. My job has been eliminated. Or these days, my job is obsolete. This is an AI or an algorithm or robotics that are doing, but it's, it's, that, it's that that's gone. And I've seen that on the scale of tens of thousands of people at one time, over and over and over again. And I've been swept up in it too. I mean, I've been through nine mergers and acquisitions alone, not to mention efficiencies and cutting, slashing, <clears throat> whatever it might be. I'm not commenting on those decisions. I'm just saying that's the repeatable where I've been in it and I can see it and understand what's happening. And my, my observation is what was in my heart is I get swept in sometimes or is I'm part of making sure that this is communicated in, in a way that I, I would believe is part of the Christian ethic is I want to use, it's overused with the Gretzky line that we're all skating to where the puck's going to be, but for future thinking, tomorrow when I wake up, I have, and in this case, I'm talking about jobs and income, and the heart is there. And I want to torque what Gretzky says by saying, well, what if tomorrow you wake up in a world and there's no such thing as ice? It doesn't even work. What if there's no such thing as a puck? What if there's no such thing as a hockey stick? That's the kind of change I'm bringing to the table. What if all that goes away? What are you going to do? And, and so over and over again, and I would think I've, I've witnessed this and been a part of and been in it in terms of taking the hit uh, for over 100,000 people. But what I've seen is it, as it happens in it is, it is all that vanishes, it is love that takes us through. Not a corporate strategy, not how it's communicated, not job assistance. It, what I'm seeing is the love of people who have seen it, the love of people who, in the words I use, throw people over the wall to discover that there's somewhere else and they have to clear their thinking from yesterday thinking or the bad tomorrow thinking and moving on to the other place. I talk about throwing it over the wall so that there is not bitterness and regret and remorse to go to another place. And I've seen that acted out with love ways that uh, is is hard to explain, but I see it over and over again. So that's the shock that I see to hit people. Uh, and, and it is this balance of then they're done that and the ability to see it. Uh, I see that the ethic of Christ walking through, and I want to hold out as my example uh, in the 24th chapter of Luke, we're in the book of Luke, it's not, and I, this goes to your next question too, Sarah. But you know what is happening in the twenty fourth chapter? He's walking through walls. He is walking through walls. This is this, and I believe that walking through walls is taking place in the same environment that I'm talking about. Uh, I've I've seen the greatest love and at the greatest love and help and a helping hand in those situations. So that's what I had there. Charles, what about you? I was reading uh, what I do when I go to prepare for one of these conversations is to, is to look at the past, the past that we've experienced, the, 
base my work on what we've done before instead of trying to find something new. And I found an article by Barbara Brown Taylor that I looked at several times before when we've come to this passage. And what struck me was the different environment that today's world provides. Barbara Brown Taylor is describing a, a train ride, a, a subway ride. It's not really a subway because she was in Atlanta and was going from somewhere downtown out to the airport, which is you, you take a subway, but it's not a subway because it's on top and it's going there. And there was a, on this, as she described it in her re- re- recapitulation of that particular event, uh, there was a, a man who was obviously, uh, he didn't have it all together. That's, that's, that's the simplest way to say it. And he was, he, but he, he wandered through the train looking for uh, picking up what appeared to be picking up pieces of trash that he was collecting to get rid of them so that it would have the, the train would be clean and people would be able to have a, a more clean environment. And people, once they realized what he was doing, began to help him. They would, you know, provide pieces of trash that they had picked up and he he would take it and would be very happy about it and then he would go to the next one like, like that. And I realized that 10 years later, that wouldn't happen. The same, the same train, the same individual uh, uh, not being able to, you know, hold, hold it all together. His treatment by the people uh, in the train would be, you know, off-putting, which is what she had originally thought was going to happen, but did not. And I was, I was just struck by how, how much difference a decade makes. Same people, same circumstances, but the environment in which we live, which is the same, the the the, the transformation is occurring now. We are we 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 walk with more suspicion. We walk with more uh, uncertainty. We work with more um, concentration on avoiding the, the 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 unknown, and it makes it difficult. Well, it's the Christians. To ask, you know, what is my job now in this circumstance, you got a completely set of answers that your environment, given the way the world has now turned out, it's just, just, it's just a different place. And it changes like that overnight. Thank you, Charles. You know, I... I reflected on my experience, and I'm hearing it in the conversations that each of us has offered up. There's this, I'm going to call it a moment, where you are suddenly confronted with a reason or a purpose to shift what you're aware of and what your understanding is. In my situation, when you don't have the tools or the electricity to do what needs to be done or what you're you're accustomed to doing and you have to take action to remedy that the question is how do you respond and i will say it sounds like although this time and place is 
is is very unique in that we all work in the same building and then we all work together. We're not a we're not a big law firm. We're a little boutique law. And it was really surprising to me that everybody helped everybody. It became, it became a who's covering that base and who's who's checking on that person and you know, half the office was working from home and couldn't get to the network anymore, and we had to be able to communicate with everybody. So everybody was picking up cell phones and calling each other, which gave me, you know, confirmation that people were connecting personally, not just corporately, because we were using our personal cell phones and we had each other's phone numbers. So we were reaching out to those people that were working from home and letting them know what had happened people in the Orlando office, letting them know what happened. Um, you know, we were coming up with a plan of attack to see what we could pull together and what we needed assistance for from a technology standpoint. But it was really interesting to see everyone laid down what they were working on and became focused on helping each other, which for me was invigorating and heart it just lifted me up because you don't often have the opportunity to witness it when people suddenly shift and the most important thing in the room becomes somebody else instead of the thing they were doing. So that for me was, was really powerful. Um, I, I, I said, and my question from the takeaway for me was how are time, work, life purpose, intertwined with treasure. And what does that reveal about our heart and our being rich toward God? And for me, it was like, oh, it's still there. It's almost like that moment in the movie Hook where the young um, wild boy, I'm trying to think what they called him, uh, grabs the the Robin Williams character by the face and and looks just really intently into his eyes and goes, oh, there you are, Peter. And it was one of those moments where I was able to revisit and confirm or affirm, reaffirm, that the most important thing we can do while we're at work is help each other. Um, So for me, I guess, what is the takeaway that is not impacted by moths, that's not stealable and unfailing. Um, recognition and valuing the people and the relationships and working toward a common goal and a common effort together. I think that that's true. And, and Bill, I would say if you reflect back, it shifted your thinking onto what you value most. And I think for me that's exactly what this moment does. And I think this is Jesus' way of saying to the disciples, you know, you guys need to to keep a hold of, keep sight of that which is most important. So um, I I really liked um, that thought. So question number two comes from um, workingpreacher.org, Carolyn Lewis, Caroline Lewis presented us with uh, thoughts and questions in her essay dated July 31st, 2016. The essay was entitled Treasured Possessions Part 2. And she said it like a question. Treasured Possessions? 
part two. And I really liked these questions, so I'm going to tender them to you. And I'm quoting. This week, Jesus is asking us, what is it that, in, that encapsulates the kingdom of God for you? What is the one thing that if someone asks you about it, you would be able to give as witness to your faith in God, your belief in the work of Jesus, and your confidence in the presence of the Holy Spirit? And it made me think, how do I talk to somebody else about these experiences? And how do I present the information so that they understand what's most important to me? Um, and, 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 and that's my question to you guys. Um, Don, you want to take this one? I think it has something to do with the business of life. I think. And I think it has to do with respect, too, because whenever I've been on the other side of this, I think it's important to have, you know, always say, you know, I've been there. I've had my, you know, air knocked out of me, um, is, is to know that for most people it's going, the answer is, you don't know me. Who do you think you are? You don't know me. Because we're talking about identity here. The treasure's in a place. It's probably got to do with who you think you are. It's pretty, it's pretty rough. But I, I, uh, I'll go first to the question has the word encapsulates which I thought was an interesting word. And, you know, one of the meanings is essential features. I'll answer that question. But to put it in a capsule or to summary up, like that ain't what this is. So I'll reject that other meaning because I, I think <clears throat> talking about the, the Christ who walked through walls, uh, you know, we have structures and buildings. You, you had a law firm struck by lightning. We have churches that burned down houses. There's, there's terrible flooding going on during this week uh, and recovery in Kentucky. All those things are out there, uh, but there's some essential features here, I guess, uh, if you're willing to go with the fact that our Christ walks through walls, wherever it may be. For me, mergers and acquisitions and layoffs of tens of thousands of people is a presence. So I am uh, say it's difficult, and I, I'm thinking – I'm here today and I'm healthy. And you've asked me a question. I may not be healthy next time on podcast. Uh, when something happens, I may not be present. I may not be able to help. I may not have the insight or the discipline to be helpful. But today you asked me the question, and I think it's like, all right, I'm supposed to answer the question based on what I've seen and in uh, and, and our relationships. So I'm just going to say I think the kingdom – is knowing that places and assumptions and constructs that I have and my brothers and sisters have are fading away or can be immediately struck by light. That's part one. Just knowing that, I think that is a, a gift. If I'm willing, my eyes are open on a day that I'm healthy. I'm going to go out and if I'm willing to, to do those things in the moment. And thinking about the future, knowing that it's not where the puck's going to be because we may not be playing hockey. That might not be the point. Uh, and in the past, because my brothers and sisters, just like me at times, can't get out of it. And we still live in those places that are gone if we don't help each other. We still play hockey, even though there's no such thing as hockey. We still go to work every day as if the job still exists. 
And as dark as that may sound, I think willing to see all those places where all those hearts are is step one. And I think that's where I've seen love and I've felt the love of other people. And I don't think there would be an awareness of where all those hearts are if I wasn't living in the kingdom. I think the kingdom is real, and I think it's present, and I think it walks through walls. A person, a real person, walks through walls. What's present? I would not know that darkness. I would not know that we're all playing a game that doesn't exist if we weren't all living in the kingdom too. So that's my best shot at it. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, Charles, do you want to throw anything in? I don't think so right now. Thank you. Bill, what about you? Uh, Sarah, first of all, Don, I very much appreciated your comments after my first response, and I want to begin by reiterating that this is different for each of us. I really appreciated that that emphasis. And frankly, Sarah, I this is the one I hesitated the most on because in a moment what I'm going to share is something I'm excited about. But, you know, none of us, I think, want to, to come across as look at how good I am. That That's not the point. But the question is, how can you give witness to your faith in God, give witness to your belief in the work of Jesus, give witness to your confidence in the presence of the Spirit, okay? Something I valued even more after my meningitis experience was, this is how I would say it, justice is at the heart of the life of faith, and it takes a whole village to do the work of justice and literally and figuratively to build lives and families. So for me, what I engage in that gives witness to what Caroline asked is my involvement in Pinellas County, an organization called FAST, Faith in Action for Strength Together. It's a sister organization to Hope in Hillsborough County, which Pomacia is involved in, and to Habitat. And the two help me because FAST deals with the big picture. We don't build homes. We're focused on affordable rentals, especially for those in the lower echelons financially. And so we deal with government policy. We advocate for decisions uh, that will enhance that. Habitat has recently got involved in advocacy, but we build one house at a time. I'm helping on a house this coming Friday. Um, Again, this isn't about bragging. It's that um, that gives witness. And by the way, Fast and Habitat are interfaith, nonpartisan. So we seek to avoid the walls (laughs) that divide us by religion or politics and instead work together uh, for the common good. And the fact that I have a commitment to that and many others, we, we can't do it alone, to me is what I would offer as a witness to the presence of the triune God. And I'll stop there, Sarah. 
I'll volunteer that there was a book that made a lot of sense to me. And it starts off with the uh, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. And for me, when I hit these moments of, and it could be awareness, it could be panic, it could be um, anxiety, it could be um, like the breaking of dawn. When I hit these moments, I look around and go, whose hand needs to be held? Because my hand needs holding, and I want to find somebody who will ha- who will hold my hand and walk with me. And sometimes I'm the brilliant person that goes, oh, I know this one. I'll, I'll grab your hand, and I'll walk with you. And there are other moments where I am completely blindsided and befuddled, and I have no awareness of what to do next. And it's super helpful when somebody else reaches out and goes, oh, I got this one. I've been through this before. Come with me. And I think there's something to be said for holding hands and walking through the scary bits together. Um, It's kind of like crossing a street. And sometimes you are the one that throws the people over the wall and goes, don't worry, there's a swimming pool on the other side, you'll love it. Or you're the person that gets thrown over the wall and is in panic trying to figure out what the next step's going to be. So I think there's this wonderful um, surprise that occurs when you encounter someone else in your moment of anxiety and darkness where somebody steps up and goes, I'll walk you with this. I'll, I'll walk with you through this. And So I think for me, the, the bit that encapsulates if there is such a thing, the, kin- the kingdom of God is the willingness to stand with, even in silence, and hold somebody else's hand in a moment of crisis. Um, because that has worked for me, and it's been super helpful to me, and it, I think, is what Jesus would do. The question number three, ah, the past two years of COVID have brought us challenges. COVID has forced church leaderships and congregations to revisit their mission statements and ask How do we accomplish our missions independent of physical spaces like sanctuaries and Sunday school classrooms and fellowship halls? Human beings really like structure. They love systems, both physical and behavioral systems. Um, In our time, in the time of Jesus and in the time that Luke was writing, um, Jesus told us and told his disciples that he was the new and living temple. What are your thoughts about this? And how has this time challenged what you hold close or let go of about church? Charles, you want to say anything? Yes, I'm thinking about how my participation in the life of the Palmasia Presbyterian Church has continued uh, in spite of the distance, in spite of COVID, in spite of everything that's happening. And it's it's really tricky. I mean, uh, for me, for example, uh, 
my my connection with Palmasia is through largely through the Sunday worship, and you you wouldn't believe how difficult it is to get Palmasia Sunday worship service at the right time at the right place for the whole time, and it's just it's 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 it it it's it's, it's simply tricky and it's it's and there's nobody around here. Who is going to be able to help me? I can't, you know, open the door and go out and say, you know, somebody tell me how how do I how do I find it today? And it's 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 uh it's it's and I I, I think I guess what worries me is that that places like Palmasia, where I came to be a, a member, uh, it wasn't. Even though I was, uh, I lived um, right down the street, in a manner of speaking, from Palmasia when we lived there, before I went, uh, you know, went to University of Florida and then went someplace else. Um, but it's it's it's. I'm still I'm still working on that. I'm still trying to figure out how I make that connection and how and how it works and and why. Other people don't seem to be having the same kind of problems I have, and staying connected. You know, it, it, it's there, and then suddenly it's not there anymore, and it's it's just a it's a it's a very puzzling way. And I think most people are hoping that it will soon go away. You know, all this other stuff, and I'm not sure that policy is going to be prepared to stop and say, "What did we learn from this that will be different about?" The way our church life is is carried on, because Palmasia's church life is inevitably carried on, and you know, it's it's just a different way for most churches. Thank you, Charles. Um, Bill, do you want to throw anything in? Yes, uh, this COVID has rocked our boat (laughs) and for me it's a reminder of something that I valued before and it's that Jesus is the temple in John the fourth chapter in a conversation with the woman uh, she says well you know we worship on this mountain you say it has to be in Jerusalem and Jesus says to her in verse 21 the hour is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. Uh, It's about relationship with God and people. It's not about denominations, structures, policies, theology, as helpful as they can be. And then in Revelation chapter 21, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. The gates will never be shut by day. This includes the nations in the minor prophets and the major prophets. We've talked about how God's judgment is not just on Israel, but all nations. And God's kingdom includes not just Israel, but all nations. Uh, God is the temple, 
And the other thing it reminds me of, early in today's passage from Luke, it uses the imagery of be dressed for action. And in several places, one is Colossians 3, it talks about clothing ourselves with the new self. And it's saying that there will be no division, no barbarian, Scythian, enslaved and free, but Christ is all and in all. Again, all nations, all people. And then it lists a number of characteristics, uh, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bear with one another, forgive one another. That, to me, Sarah, reiterates the sense that it's ultimately not about the human structures. Um, and my closing comment, it's interesting to me that the portion you read from Luke begins with do not be afraid and ends with be ready. Thank you. Um, you know, for me, I'm going to come to you in a minute, Don, and, and give you the last word, but um, for me, it made me think about what has been gained in this time of COVID. And there has been an untethering from a specific space, date, and time for worship. And that worship has been, if you will, um, let loose to happen any, anywhere. Uh, kind of like on-demand worship. Because it became something like Charles has shared that I could tap into when my day presented itself. And for me, I'm kind of an early morning person, so I'm generally up before the my house. And it would give me the opportunity to worship with an uninterrupted focus. I live right down the street from Palmasia, so doing electronic worship seemed um, counterproductive than going to in person, but it also made um, it safer for my family because I wasn't exposing them to an opportunity to get sick. But it, this is kind of a, a letting go of what we've done traditionally, and, and 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 asking the question of how do we express worship now? So um, I also wanted to consider what's been lost or what does not feel as it did, because I think that's important to acknowledge and, and, and go, do we want that to be a part of this next chapter? I will say that that churches have, to some extent, had to invest in a new modality to deliver worship, to 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 provide care and, and concern and love to those people around them, and they had to do it with a new medium like technology. Now, I'm not sure everybody's message is best delivered through technology, so I'm going to say it that way. I'm not sure everybody's ready to deliver messages by technology. It is a trick to know where to look, how to express the dialogue, um, how to say things, how to dress, what the right way to present, how much lighting do you need. So there's this whole um, system of how to do it to the best of your ability. And all of that's a sliding scale of how much money you want to put into the story. And you may not have that wealth, that may not be something that's within the reach 
of the church or congregation where you practice your faith. So also to think about what was lost. And it's the sense of common worship, that, that learning and connecting and being in community as a body of worship. And so, you know, I kind of thought it was cool when we were all watching from our home televisions and and we could chat with each other and send likes and little hearts would float up. That's that's kind of an acknowledgement of the connection that we're all feeling. But we also don't, you don't hear the volume of people singing at one time. And I miss that. I miss that sense of, of being taken up by a tsunami of the spirit in the music and, and corporate worship. So I think there's this interesting juxtaposition of how some parts of what we do are best delivered through the new modality and some processes of how we worship and how we find connection are not best delivered in the new modality. So I think this has really given us um, a heads up to what we what we value most. Don, you get last word. What are your thoughts about what we hold close and let go of about church? I think four of us have more in common than not, probably. Isn't it interesting, though? We've been doing this, I mean, this is a decade of work. Uh, but we are, we are going about faith, engaging in the church, having this discussion in very different ways. And, and, and we have, I mean, we're, Look at us. I mean, if you're looking on Zoom, I mean, we have a lot in common with each other. And, uh, and we're coming at it differently already. And I think that's precious. I think that's really important that we're struggling and trying to figure out how to engage as individuals. And in a way, we've been pulled apart in that way. But I think there's real opportunity. But I want to say that I'm not, I'm not holding out COVID as a blessing or anything like that. I'm not thankful that it's COVID, but I am thankful for the resilience of people that I worship with, people in my community, great pastors, great staff, the resilience I'm so thankful for. And the treasure I'm seeing laid up in what I do for a living is what we call snapback thinking. And you know when COVID started, it was like, well, the old economy would be back in two quarters. It'll get right back, snap right back. There's, there's false thinking, treasure thinking, putting your treasure in the wrong place. It's not coming back. Or public health, Public health will be back the way it was in 2019. Snap back. It'll be fine. My heart is there. Well, really? You think public health was in good shape in 2019? Education. Early learning. If it just gets back to 2019. Bill, the justice system. We can just snap back to the way it was. Really? Really? And so I see treasure in that. And with the church, I see breakthroughs. So what I'm experiencing is I'm not seeing snap back thinking in the church. At least right where I'm hanging out. It's like things have changed, and there's some w- walking through wall going on. And, and I, I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound soft and feel goody. I have no other way to say it. That when I, I, And I go to a lot of churches. I travel a lot. I like going into the church door and seeing what's going on. And I'm seeing it, and in my own church, I am seeing pastors of all ages cock their heads looking at the congregation. I've never seen them look like that before. Cocking their heads like, who are you? Not like you're a stranger, but like, I've never seen you like this before. What are you doing? Cocking their heads at themselves. Who am I now? What was my treasure? Sometimes with delight on their faces. 
more weeping from the pulpit than I've ever seen before, more weeping from choirs, more weeping in the congregation, more sh- I've never seen it before, talking our heads at each other in song and prayer. Who are you? What's happening? And a willingness not to go back. I, 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 I am delighting in this. And there's a lostness in it that people are quite comfortable in admitting. And I'm speaking of pastors especially. Uh, I think there's a joy in it. And, I mean, I know when I walk in rooms, I'm looking around at people that I know in a different way. Uh, there is change afoot. And I just want to say I am so thankful for leaders and staff and for people that I, that I meet as I walk through these doors who are willing to stand back and go, who are you? Who, are, who am I? It's, it's a real joy. So we may be trying to snap back to the justice system. I hope not. Or the old economy. I hope not. Or to the old health care. I hope not. Or to what early learning looked like before. I hope not. But boy, the church is leading the way in some ways on this. And, and it's, uh, it's that Christ walking through those walls, too. Uh, and the kingdom feels present as we cock our head at each other. So that's, that's what I had, Sarah. Before, before we wrap up, Sarah, I'm just going to double check to see if there's anything you want to do before we say goodbye. Thank you. Uh, I feel the same. It's almost like we crossed a threshold and the door is now closed. And the world, the world as it was yesterday is not today's world and and, Amen. and it is scary and it is joyful i mean like oh what a delight i mean literally we got hit by lightning and i was going but the best part is what's happening now when people are starting to work with each other and reach out to each other and help each other through things like, who's got a motion we got to get in? Where do we do the filings? And how can we do the filings without doing the electronic filings? And blah, blah, blah. It became this wonderful collaborative movement, almost of, of dance. Um, and it was delightful to see. And for me, it gave me great hope that it was a resilience. And I think that's the best I could do. I, and that's all I got. Next week we come to you, Dawn. Uh-oh. Oh, well. <laughs> well, folks, thanks for listening. And for some of you watch on Zoom, it's our waving. Hello. Thank you for being here. Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. You're talking about that church. I'm not even a member of Palmasia anymore. But my heart's partly there because that's where Jesus is, too. Uh, and we are all – it made it possible for the four of us to meet. It makes it possible for us to meet you, too, as you're listening. So it's in Tampa, Florida, and for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. Great sermons, prayers, choirs, music, meditations, scripture readings, discussions, and disagreements, too which I take to heart. It's a lot of fun. So you are always welcome, and we'll see you next time.